Welcome to our podcast, Conversations at EBC. We trust that you find the following message empowering and encouraging in your pursuit of God and in His pursuit of you. Good morning, everybody. It truly is a privilege for me to be here to share with you. A number of you I know through our wider Baptist family, but it's it's another thing to be given the gift to bring the word of God to you this morning. I guess you've all played that game where someone says a word and you're invited to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Like, you know, if I say dog, you think... Well, right, yeah, yeah. Or if, if I say son, you think... Oh, interesting. Here we are. Do you notice what a beautiful day we had today? Spring, September, isn't it fantastic? So if I say spring, what do you think? <laughs> Flowers, sun, it's life-giving, isn't it? What if I say um, politicians? Hmm. Okay, I want you to be really honest in your own mind and heart when I ask you to, to think of the first thing that comes to your mind when I say, church. Ministry? Can you call out? Family, people. Body, worship, egg. Where's... Love. Oh. I hardly need to say anything. It's all there. <laughs> this morning I'm speaking about God speaks through his church. I wonder if you have thought of that as being part and parcel of what it means to be part of this church, that he speaks to you. Not, of course, just through the sermon, but through the life, through the belonging to this body of Christ. Okay, I want to approach this with a, another question. How many people here have a dog? Lots, lots. There's a period in our family life where we had a dog called Jed. He was a cross between a Rhodesian Ridgeback and a Great Dane. So when he would sit on his haunches, his head would be here on the table. Have you noticed how dogs have, uh, how they're various in their natures? This particular dog, we, if we didn't take him for a run every day, walking in, a, we took him to the Crafers over where he'd run around. If he didn't do that, he'd just go troppo. And he'd also, he's a very sociable dog, and he would just love to be with you, in fact, near you. In fact, if you're sitting on a chair, he would come alongside and he'd kind of get down and he'd, he'd just... <laughs> He'd just snuggle up to you because he was that kind of dog. And so we had to make sure that he was able to function according to his nature, taking him out and not locking him out and so on. Or um, yesterday, our neighbours across the road came over. They're a young family and a six-year-old and a three-year-old and the two parents. And the, the six-year-old came and, uh, well... What's the nature of a six-year-old? <laughs> I 
inquisitive, exploring, playful. So she came. Where are the chickens? Can I go and get the egg? Sure. She got the egg. Oh, sorry, dropped the egg. <laughs> What's that? That's a nutcracker. What's that for? Oh, we've got a maca the macadamia tree. Where's that? Out the front. Can I crack some nuts? Yeah, and so on and on it went. Boom, boom, boom. Our third son, Michael, when he was six, one time we timed him in one hour, he asked 50 questions. <laughs> Truly. And of course, you go with the development of your children, don't you? The thing is that he was most happiest, most satisfied when he was able to function according to his nature, just like Jed the dog. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, I'm sure. What I want to declare this morning is that the church is happiest, most satisfied, most peaceful and purposeful when it functions according to its nature. I want you to think about that. I don't think we usually approach this matter of being and belonging to church in this way. We, we're more likely to, uh, to think uh, we, we think in a more individual way. You know, the church, I, was, I mean, I was glad to hear in that banter at the start, but many people think, church, they think about a building, you know, the building we go to. Or maybe, you know, it has a program that I might participate in if it meets my needs. And this, of course, is a legacy of our consumerist society. And Let's, let's be honest, let's face it, we're not immune from this constant bombardment that our surrounding secular culture pounds us with to look after number one, to ask the question, what's in it for me? Will it meet my needs? And so, you know, we tend to think pragmatically and we, we may even, uh, you know, come home from church and say, what did you get out of that? But I want to declare that belonging to the church is actually part and parcel of our innate Christian identity. When we become Christians, we not only are new creations in God's sight, we're accepted by God through Jesus, forgiven by his great gracious act of dying for us on the cross, and, and being made a son or a daughter adopted by the living God, all that's very personal, but at the same time, in fact, at the moment you genuinely believe, you come into the company of God's people, his family, the body of Christ, whichever metaphor you want to use that the New Testament throws to us to, to, make, to, to, to uh, teach us about who we are. These truths are part of our essence. And so we are happiest, we are most satisfied and most peaceful and purposeful when we function according to and consistent with not only the personal identity, things to do with our new nature, but corporately our identity as church. And so, of course, it follows just quite naturally that being part of church becomes a natural and integral part of how we experience God speaking to us. And I don't mean just through the pastor when he preaches, but 
Of course, including that, that's very vital, but it's, it's, as I hope we'll see, to do with the whole living of being church. And so I want to unpack this in some detail. So I have four headings. What is the essential nature of the church? Well, at least it is relational, corporate, spiritual and missional. I wonder if you think of yourself in those kind of frames, that part and parcel of your life has to do with your relationships with the fellow members of the church that you call your church. And of course, it's, it's not just, it's not individual, it's corporate. Faith, of course, is very personal, but it's not just me and God, me and Jesus, me and the Holy Spirit. It is us, us together finding God in our lives, and he speaks to us through the pastor, through the sermon, but through one another. And, of course, that, that implies, of course, that we know each other, that we're involved with each other, that we connect with each other. And I don't, I mean, you have a, you have a small group dimension in church, don't you? And I don't know what you think of that and how much you're involved in that. But to me, for me, I'd have to say very honestly that you can't fully experience what I'm talking about this morning just by coming to church on a Sunday morning. That alone won't do it, as good as it can be. And how wonderful the worship and how important that is. But there's more to it than that. So, first of all, launching from this very important statement about our identity in Romans chapter 8, where Paul declares, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall again into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There's a wealth of information there and I can't unpack all of that, but what I want to focus on is this description, the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit. That's talking about an experience, something very personal, something interior. God's spirit witnessing with my spirit about who I am, about my identity. And I don't know you, most of you, at all, but what is your experience of that experience? <laughs> God's spirit witnessing to your spirit, conveying to your innermost spirit that you're his, that you're his child, that you are adopted by the living God. What does the text say is the heart of this experience? Well, it's to do with this declaration somehow is evoked Abba, Father. This, this made me think about Jesus at his baptism. You'll know what happened. He's baptised, he comes out of the water, the spirit descends on him, the voice of God comes and the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This affirmation 
from the Father to the Son about his essential identity. Before he does anything in ministry, this is my son. I love him to bits. Do you know that same experience is meant for us? Jesus prayed for that. You read John chapter 17 when he prayed for the church to come. He prays that they will know just, just as Father, how I know you love me, I want them to know that same love. You know, in Colossians 3, when he's, when he, uh, he's talking about their identity, since then you've been raised with Christ, you know, set your heart on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. Your life is in Christ, in God. A bit further in passage says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, beloved. Do you know you're dearly loved? In that love, this passage tells us that this cry of, is evoked in this witness, the spirit to our spirit, Abba, Father. Now, I don't probably you've had, heard sermons about Abba, you know, and some preachers kind of say, well, the English equivalent today, because we don't actually, how many people naturally say Abba? You know, it's an Aramaic word. But preachers say, oh, well, kind of the best translation is, you know, something like, dear daddy. And I don't know about you, but I find something doesn't quite sit quite right for me with that. We'll just have to jump a slide because uh, I was really helped when um, no the next one please yeah I was helped to understand this by coming across this many years ago um, Robert Banks comments on this text he says this fellowship of Christians with God the Father and Jesus his son and it's talking about what this cry of Abba means. Uh, it's not at all like the calling of a royal court in which the king holds audience with his fellows, with his citizens subjects, nor should we think of it in terms of the assembling of a household in which the master is surrounded by his loyal slaves. It's not even like the gathering of an ordinary family in which the head enters into the relationship with his infant children. The meeting of Christians with their God is more analogous to the encounter between adult children and their father, where they're able to relate to him not only in the most intimate, but increasingly in the most mature fashion. That's what the cry of Abba actually means. It is a cry of deep family intimacy, but it has this weight of also growing maturity. Now, of course, this touches into, well, what's our experience at a human level of relationship with our, with our father as adults and I'm, that would vary greatly, no doubt. But this is what God intends, that we relate in growing intimacy and in ongoing and deepening maturity. Abba, Father, Father, 